The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday the 2nd of November. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... Is another home humiliation a new low for Manchester United? The defending on all three goals was horrible. Who got the luck of the Carabao Cup quarterfinal draw? They march on into the quarterfinals, another very tough draw away at Chelsea. And is Ivan Tony for sale come January? Tony's made it pretty clear that he feels he's ready for the next step in his career. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. Let's start with last night's action, and in that case, we have to start at Old Trafford. And the pocket has been picked there of Amrabat. It's Willock still going to finish it off, and what a finish that is as well. Yes, that was Joe Willock scoring Newcastle's third goal of the night as Manchester United's Carabao Cup defence came to a crushing end at Old Trafford. It was Man United's second 3-0 home defeat in the space of just four days, Our reporter Mark Critchley joins us again, fresh from the game. We spoke yesterday about how much manager Eric Ten Hag needed a positive night. How bad was it? (laughs) Yeah, pretty bad, I think. Look, these historical stats that you get that span decades and decades back, they're not always the most relevant, I think. But tonight was the first time that United have lost consecutive home games, conceding more than three goals since 1962. And that was before my parents was born. It was before even Ten Hag was born. And it's absolutely not the positive night that Eric Ten Hag needed. He made a lot of changes, seven changes in total from the game on Sunday, but really only really created newer problems for himself. The defending on all three goals was horrible, is the word for it. Different players each time committing different mistakes and all rather in keeping with just what we've seen from United since the start of this season, really. The difference now, if you like, is that you just have to look at Old Trafford at the end of the night. Rows of empty seats during that last 20 minutes. Newcastle fans absolutely jubilant at that fact that people were heading for the turnstiles with still a good 20, 15 to go. That's the state that Manchester United are in at the moment, and it's a pretty bad one. How serious is this getting for Ten Hag, Mark? Is his job actually in danger? I don't think there's any immediate danger there still. You know, if we're saying, is he still going to be in his job by the weekend? I think so at this point. There's plenty of wider issues at the club that feed into this as well. You know, who would even make that decision at the moment? We're talking about a club that's going through a strategic process that we believe in weeks or months time is going to end up with different people running the football side of the project who even signs off on the decision as big a decision as as changing the manager. So as bad as it is, I don't think there's any immediate danger yet. But as I say, scrutiny's falling on Ten Hag now. He was asked in his press conference whether he thinks he's going to get the time to turn this around. And he said, well, he came out fighting. He literally said, I'm a fighter. I'm, I'm here to fight. So from from that sense, you don't, you don't think they're quite at that point yet. But, is his position more precarious and is there more pressure on him than there was at the start of the season? Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. So misery for one United, revenge for the other as Newcastle got a degree of payback for their Carabao Cup final defeat back in February. Here's our Newcastle correspondent, Chris Woff. Just walking away from Old Trafford on what has been, quite frankly, a historic night for Newcastle United. 
Just their second win at Old Trafford since 1972 and a 3-0 demolition of Manchester United on this occasion. A much changed Newcastle side, one which had basically half the side was full of fullbacks uh, in a makeshift system. Matt Target also went off inside 90 seconds and yet Newcastle march on into the quarterfinals. Another very tough draw away at Chelsea. They, all of their draws in all cup competitions this season have been very, very difficult. But a thoroughly deserved and surprising victory, Eddie Howe's men, uh, will march on from here and hope to excel in the in the Premier League and Champions League going on. They've got a heck of a lot of games, but this might give them some positive momentum at a time in their season when injuries are biting and things were starting to stall. So yes, just a historic night and something that the 7,300 Newcastle United fans who are here tonight will never forget. Thanks, Chris. Newcastle then, one of the clubs looking for silverware this season. Their reward is a trip to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea are through thanks to a 2-0 win at home to Championship side Blackburn. Benoit Bediachile scoring 30 minutes into his first appearance of the season. Ball is taken quickly, Gallagher, all keepers punched it out to Bediachile and Chelsea have the lead. Another club on the hunt for a trophy is Liverpool and they also made the last eight with a 2-1 win at Bournemouth thanks to a stunner from Darwin Nunez. Nunez takes it on, oh a sensational goal! Liverpool will now face West Ham, who knocked out Arsenal, more on them shortly. Fulham 1-3-1 at Championship High Flyers Ipswich, and they'll travel to Everton, who marked the passing of their long-standing chairman Bill Kenwright at Goodison Park with a 3-0 win over Burnley. And the final quarter-final will see League One Port Vale host Championship Middlesbrough, meaning an EFL team will make the EFL Cup semi-finals. But one team not even in the quarter-final draw were Arsenal after they lost 3-1 at West Ham. Jordan Campbell covers Arsenal for The Athletic and was at the London Stadium. Jordan, there were team changes for Mikel Arteta. Arsenal fans thought this was a serious chance for silverware. Does he deserve criticism off the back of this? Well, I think you can look at it and say it was a, a misjudgment on his part. You know, I think everyone saw the 5-0 win over, over Sheffield United and thought, you know, this is Arsenal now clicking into top gear. Everyone's finding their place in the team. But six changes tonight there is always going to be a drop-off and I guess tonight was a question of just how much has the squad improved for Arsenal and I think on the basis of, of that you can say that there's still some players who are indispensable and when you take out Saliba out of the defence they look vulnerable I mean you take Rice out of midfield and you've got Jorginho Havertz and Vieira none of who have really got power and physicality I was surprised actually when it went to 3-0 that he brought on some of the big boys because I thought the game had gone and he would just save them but he did try to clock back but this just was not Arsenal's night and they could not break down West Ham after they went behind. Aaron Ramsdale was recalled and played in goal but this kind of felt like the worst case scenario for him that he comes back in and, and Arsenal are comprehensively beaten. And this is the thing whether it's Real or whether it's Ramsdale whatever game they play in People will look at the result and they'll draw a correlation between <laughs> between the goalkeeper and the performance. That's probably harsh on Ramsdale tonight, but you know the first goal and swinging cross from Bowen, he was quite high outside his goal, but there was a bit of a grab for Suchek, but he didn't get across his front post that quick and, and White ended up turning it into his own, his own net. So there are mitigating circumstances there, but there's still a bit of doubt over the first goal and then obviously the third goal took a deflection and... I think it would be harsh to say you expect them to save it, but whenever a goalkeeper gets a hand to it, there's always questions asked. So, yeah, I don't think it, it was the night that he had planned. And I think after the last round coming through a difficult tie at Brentford, 
Arsenal would have fancied themselves to, to really go and, and win the competition with, with Man City out as well. So, no, it's a, real, a, a really poor night for Arsenal. You mentioned Declan Rice came on as a sub. How did his West Ham return go down? Well, well it, it depends who you ask because it was, very, uh, it was very mixed, which I found quite surprising because I know fans get upset when the boyhood hero leaves, but he did just win captain him to the first European trophy in 45, 50 years. So for it to be as mixed as it was, I was quite surprised. But at the end, he did a lap of, I don't know if you say a lap of honour, a lap of dishonour, but he did a lap anyway and, and clapped the home fans after he went to the, the, the few Arsenal fans that were, were left. But, you know, there was good spirited humour between the fans, you know, saying you should have signed for a big club, <laughs> that sort of thing. So maybe it hurt him a little bit. I think the result probably what's on his mind tonight rather than, the return they got. Thanks, Jordan. It wasn't only Champions League clubs in England that had cup stumbles either. Yes, that was the sound of Bayern Munich getting knocked out of the DFB Pokal. That's the German Cup to you and me. Marcel Gauss scored in the 96th minute to earn third tier Saarbrücken a famous 2 1 win. Of Harry Kane's four targets for what was supposed to be his first inevitable trophy success, Bayern Munich have already been left empty-handed from two of them. All eggs in the Bundesliga and Champions League baskets from here then, Harry. Harry Kane was one of the big summer transfer moves, of course, and it's barely eight weeks until we get to do it all again in January when the winter transfer window opens. And at the centre of it may well be Ivan Toney. He won't kick a ball until January as he continues to serve an eight-month suspension for breaking the FA's betting rules. But that hasn't stopped Premier League clubs being linked with the move for the Brentford and England striker. The Athletics Brentford correspondent Jay Harris is with us. Jay, what's the situation as Brentford and Tony's camp see it? And are they actually on the same page? It feels like there are so many rumours about Ivan Tony's future at the moment. And lots of people seem to think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to leave in January. Certainly from Brentford's perspective, I don't think that's the case. He's obviously one of their best players. They're excited to have him back and that's what the plan is. And when you look at the wider context, you know, two of their best players this season, Johan Visser and Brian Mbumo, they're off to the Africa Cup of Nations in January. They've currently got Neil Mope up front, who's not scored, I think, in 39 shots. And then they've got two younger players in Kevin Sharder and Keen Lewis Potter, who are not quite proven goal scorers at this level just yet. So if they were to sell Tony hypothetically in January, I think it would leave them very short. So I think from Brentford's perspective, they want to hold on to him. But I think Tony's made it pretty clear that he feels he's ready for the next step in his career. And I'm sure Brentford will make it a quite high fee, potentially, should anyone be interested. Which, I mean, who do you expect to lead the race if there are teams that are tempted to splash the cash? And I guess that can be January or the summer. Yeah, well, obviously the name that, that keeps on popping up is Arsenal. And that's a little difficult to see happening in the immediate future, just because... Firstly, Arsenal do still have Gabriel Jesus and Eddie Nketiah. And, you know, Nketiah's just scored a hat-trick at the weekend. We also know that they've spent a lot of money in the last couple of transfer windows. They'd probably have to sell players before they could get Ivan Tony in. Not too sure how much Brentford probably value Tony at, but when you consider that he scored 20 goals in the Premier League last season, only Harry Kane and Haaland got more. Harry Kane's just gone for £100 million. He's not going to be cheap. And then Chelsea, obviously a team that have spent a lot of money in the last couple of years and still seem to have a striker problem. They've also got Nicholas Jackson, Amanda Broya, Christopher Nkunku to come back from injury. 
Antonio doesn't quite fit their profile of signing. They tend to skewer towards players under the age of 23 and Tony's 28 in March. But I think popping someone of Tony's calibre who's going to guarantee you goals into that team would definitely help Pochettino's plans. And Jay, Tony is banned until the 16th of January. So after that date, he is then available. Is the expectation that he will then be back in straight away and playing? Definitely. You know, when he returned to training in September, Thomas Frank said that there was a 16-week plan in place to get Tony fit and up and running. I think what some people may have forgotten is that actually towards the end of last season, he picked up a hamstring injury anyways. It wasn't anything too serious, but still that had to be rehabbed over the summer. And Thomas Frank always talks about this strange situation where a player's technically fit, but he's not match fit. So how do they get Ivan Tony to be ready for Brentford, Nottingham Forest on January 20th, that first game is going to be available for. He's already played games behind closed doors. He scored a, a pretty special goal against Como in a behind closed doors friendly last week. So Brentford would just keep arranging those types of games for him um, to ensure that he's as sharp as possible come that big day when he's back. Thanks, Jay. So the live football is in short supply tonight, but if you fancy seeing just how bad Ajax are at the moment, then you can watch the Eredivisie's bottom club host Volendam. That's from 7pm in the UK on the lesser-known MOLA TV or 3pm Eastern on ESPN+. And that's all for today's briefing. Thank you for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Mike Zimmerman and Abby Patterson and executive producer was Ben Green. It's Adam Leventhal with you tomorrow. Until then, enjoy your day. The Athletic.